uh, look, we've got an oyster here. Fred, is it? Yes. Put it on the desk. There you are, Min. There, now, go and speak to it. Speak to it? <laughs> this is absurd. I, I, I can't No, oh, no, go on, buddy. <laughs> speak to it. Speak to it. No, no, I refuse. I can't. Yes, you can. Try. And then you'll find out if it can speak. Yes. Oh. <coughs> <coughs> um. Good morning. <laughs> this is madness. You can't. You'll have to speak louder. He can't hear you. <laughs> of course not. The oyster's closed. Closed? Wednesday, of course. It's early closed. <laughs> shout loud to it. Shout loud. Shout loud. Good morning. Uh, I see that it's early closing for oysters. Goonpod, and Thank you. um, and and Molly Molly McDade, welcome back. Remember when you messaged me first and said, "Hey, do you want to be on Goonpod?" And I went, "No, I'm not important." And now I'm on it twice. <laughs> well, yeah, you're a you're a return guest. You're totally um, into it, you swine. <laughs> um, your debut was talking. What was it? The string robberies, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And and you've come back to talk about another Goon show, which is very dear to your heart. But um, we were in the in the little preamble. You were mm-hmm. talking. You, you you were talking about Spike the play, which you were very taken by. Yes. Um, and so go so go on. Just tell me because how many times did you go? Oh God. Uh, well, basically, when I first, I think when I, I think I mentioned it when I was first on here, I was like, oh, I ma- didn't manage to get to the watermill for its original run, and basically, I ended up seeing it three times. <laughs> and were you were you the only one there that wasn't like uh, drawing a pension? Um, shall we say? Yes. <laughs> they, the majority were, but there are a few. There were a few people of the younger persuasion but um yeah but that i think i was in a minority of younger fans mm-hmm. yeah 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 um I loved it. as you know i've spoken to the first run spike which was john Deglish. yeah but i didn't then, manage to catch him no but then I, obviously i spoke to um to robert to robert wilford yeah and 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 the, the, when i actually spoke to him it was just soon after the queen had turned up her toes <laughs> he, he said he said respectfully yes indeed yes and and old charlie boy had um had ascended yes yes um and he said that the show had been tweaked to to, to recognize the fact one thing they changed was that she they do in one of the scenes they do the lady boyle disbuds well from yeah. the starlings as like an example of a void of other things in the it was taken out of the context of the episode, but like used as an example of them offending the BBC executives of how dare they, how dare they, and Correct. apparently yep. 
and don't take this as gospel because obviously the, the cast can tell you probably if this is correct or not, but apparently they did take that out yes. for a little bit. But when I saw it again, they put it back in. So that has oh. been permanently removed. Ah, oh, okay. Okay, good, good. Uh, you, oh, and also they changed at the very end because um, um, Peter Dukes oh, yeah. uh, plays the announcer who isn't Wallace Greenslade. Right. But he's like basically Wallace Greenslade, but he's not named. He's just a generic BBC announcer, but I think he was Wallace Greenslade. Yeah. At the very end, he credits all the people who have been influenced by Spike Milligan and the goons. And he mentions King Charles, the, what was it? Fourth. Third. Isn't it? No, third. third. King Charles. King <laughs> Charles. Sorry. Sorry, Charlie. King Charles III. Um, so they obviously put that in, change that sure. from Prince Charles to King mm. Charles. Mm. I, I'm still trying to get him on this, you know. <laughs> oh my god! If the show gets a new run, then need, he needs to see it. <laughs> well, I missed my window with Charles when he was just a prince. I may, I, know, I may, have, I may I have been able to afford him, but now, God. Oh, I know. You just mm. <laughs> you might still be able to. God. Random tangent, but I swear, it's that it's that f- frequency illusion or something. I can't remember what it's called. Of like when you notice something and then you hear of it everywhere. Yes. Since I've been on this program, since I've been, you know, getting get, got really into the goons over the past, uh, uh, in you know, last year or so, mm. suddenly loads of comedy people have suddenly just turned out mentioning the goons, like um, on Twitter or in like podcasts they do. Like I was listening to Reese Darby's podcast and he randomly just name dropped Spike Milligan at one point. Um, just, oh, hey, Reese Darby? Yeah. What's he, what's he got in common with me? Oh, wonder. <laughs> no, no. There's two. There's two things he's got in common with me. Oh. What, what's the first thing? Do you think? Um. Oh, I couldn't possibly say. <laughs> no, it's, um, um, no, it's New Zealander. He's a New Zealander. Uh, born exactly the same day as me. Wow. Mm, there you go. Very nice. Same same year, same day. Same year, same day. Yeah. Wow. Mm, I should get him on, shouldn't I? Yeah, you should. And also Mike Wozniak as well. He put on yes. that he, he'd been on a podcast talking about the goons. I was like, ah, oh, those are two gets. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and yeah, because he was on um, Comfort Blanket with Joel Morris. and I need to I, listen to that episode, but I saw the clip on Twitch. I was like, ah! <laughs> yeah, Joel, Joel's been on here as well. And um, it was it's sort of when Joel's episode talking about Phantom Head, Head Shaver, mm. Phantom Raspberry Blower, um, <laughs> when that, that came out, I think, the week before the Mike Wozniak uh, Goon Show episode of Comfort Blanket, which was really good. So, yeah, definitely listen to that. I need to listen to that. But it is amazing. Yes, it is amazing how many people, um, you know, with my, my the, sorry, my, the Goon Pod Twitter, t- Twitter feed, which is now up to nearly, nearly 2,000 followers, folks, by the way. Come on, folks. Come on, folks. Get those, um, get those numbers up. <laughs> I, was, I was shamelessly hustling for followers the other, the other night. Um, <laughs> And I got about 170 odd in the course nice. of 24 hours. Uh, but it's amazing the number of people that are into the goons or into Spike or into Peter, you know. I know. Amazing. And it's like, I have, I I, I might have mentioned this, but I, I, can't, I can't remember what I, what I mentioned flippantly on the first, when I was first on, but there are people my age and maybe slightly older or something who go, oh, yes, I, I've heard of them in a kind of way of like, you know, yeah. don't count them out yet. They're still, <laughs> they're still having influences. But anyway, um, I don't know um, the play before get 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 out of the way before I before we start yes. waffling about about the show. Yes, and I just um, what I really liked about it was the fact that a lot of the jokes aren't just you know obviously the thing is you know 
you'd make a ref, you know, just a make make the reference to the joke and people laugh at it because they know the joke. But what they done most quite a lot of the time is make them organic. Like there's a whole scene where they do spoilers for the play in case it ever comes back. Um <laughs> oh, oh by the way, have we made clear which play it is? It's Spike by In oh, His Lop and It's Nick Spike Newman. by In His Lop and Nick Newman, the, mm. which which opened out at the Watermill Theatre in Newbury and then went on a UK tour. And I saw it in Salisbury and at the Richmond Theatre. Mm. Sorry, I interrupted your flow there. Oh no, it's okay. It's okay, interrupt away mm. because I'm I, I waffle like mad. <laughs> but there was a they did the whole scene where they're in the, oh my God, I'm a fake fan. What's oh, the pub they went to? Grafton's. Grafton's. They went to the Grafton's, Grafton Arms. Yes. And they do the, what, uh, do you know what time it is? Oh, I've got written down a piece of paper. Uh, you know? But they oh. do it, but like organically, mm. like they set up the joke. They don't just reference it, right, which okay. I like. Um, yeah. It is genuinely very good. I know you hate it, but <laughs> I don't. I don't hate like, it. I I've just gone, tire I've of it. I've gone through dislike. I, I don't. I don't like it being like the intro people have to it, but I don't mind it itself. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. It's my my hot take. It's not actually. It's good actually, but also yeah, yeah. So I like. I like the fact that they don't just go. Oh, but you know, you guys know the joke already, so we don't need to make it. They set up so people coming into it, right. not being like big goon fans, will yep. still find those jokes funny. <laughs> And it's, um, it's, so it's not them just, and as during the play, they're not just shoehorning in gags in a, in a very clunky fashion. Then it's like you say, it's quite organic. yeah. No, it's very well only in the way that Spike does. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, the trio themselves are the Robert Wilfoot, um, Jeremy Lloyd, and Patrick Warner, um, and they're just so good. They're just oh God. You could just go on about how good they, but especially Jeremy Lloyd as Harry. Like, I'm really sad that it wasn't like filmed. There's no clips of it, but like his Harry, his Harry Seacombe is so perfectly spot on. You wouldn't expect it. Mm. Like, obviously, you know, you have Patrick Warner doing amazing impressions. Like, I mean, every you know, I suppose, like every bloke has a Kermit the Frog impression. <laughs> every man of a certain age has a, a thinks they can do Blue Bottle or Blood Knock. But you know, mm. but he his are very good, incredibly good. You know, people trot them out and think they can do it, they can't. But then to get someone who can do all those voices, including Lady Boyle, Spud's well. But <sighs> I c- I can do Sir Michael Horden, but I'm not going to do it for you now. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe maybe one time when I'm recording and I'm drunk, I might, I might do my Michael Horden. <laughs> yeah, but they they're just you can tell how much fun they're having on stage. Yes, yes. and there there is literally a scene where they're where they're talking and um, and one of the other characters played by James Mack, he he says, "Can you try to pretend like you're not having more fun than the audience?" And he says, "No, it's, we can't. We are." It was like a one every time I saw it, I was like one hundred percent believe that you are just having the best time here. Wow, like like in the show itself, like in the actual the, the actual oh, game yeah. show. That yeah. is exactly it. Watching it, especially when they because they do extracts various episodes. They do um uh greatest mountain in the world, mother of pearl bit. Interesting. Interesting. Um as like an ex- mm. oh yeah, during a rehearsal. They do yeah. Lady Boulder's Puds well. Uh, yes, they do an extended bit of 1985, including Blue Bottle. Mm. um and actually <laughs> first time i saw it i clapped because you know when you when someone comes on stage as peter sellers and introduces themselves as blue bottle of course you're gonna clap 
you're going to give the sausages, <laughs> of course. And he pointed me out of the audience and said, thank you. Because he was like, ah, sausages. And then I saw it a second time and I chickened out and no one clapped. And then the third time I was like, yes, work. <laughs> no. well, right. So, so you, you were what Barry Cryer used to call an applause. Not an applause. It was one person clapping. And applause, applause, and he appreciated it. He told me. He told me. He was like, "Thank you." Oh, great! Because <laughs> uh, obviously, you know, if you're a goon fan, and there's, it's upset. What is pretty much the closest you're ever going to get to blue bottle, the real yeah, yeah. blue bottle on stage. Of course, you're going to take that. Opportunity. For sure. For sure. <laughs> Mad. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> They succeeded, Ian Hisop and Nick Newman really did succeed because they have they did say in interviews about how they didn't want to make a sad clown play, which so many of these mm. movies and and plays about about iconic comedy legends can really fall down into that sad clown hole. Yeah. <laughs> the deep, deep, endless sad hole of sad clowns. They're all down there. Um going oh yes you know oh they oh on screen they were so happy but then they were you know alcoholic or like you know yeah. oh they had they were miserable in real life and you think oh no oh no my my opinion when, when the ca- like, yeah when the camera stopped turning they turned into monsters yeah that kind of thing or just mm. or just sad and yeah. it's like i did like the movie stan and ollie but that is one thing they just made up you know a, a, yes. a rivalry between them they did even yeah. though they never fell out like that especially about the thing they fell out over. That just wasn't true. Um, but they did it because, oh, we needed the drama. We need conflict. We need conflict to show that they're actually mm. bad, tortured souls. So what Nick Newman and Ian Hislop managed to do was go, here is Spike. He had his problems. There are some dark scenes in the play, but not too dark, but like yeah. he does touch on his mental health and, and, and suicide and um, in, uh, attempted suicide and things like that. But at the end, they just go, but also the goons was really stressful and right, but also the three of them had the best time and it was fun. And, you know, it was this golden period that they, you know, it had just this really special lightning bottle thing. And it's like, it just make, you can go from the page feeling really, really good rather than going, oh, well, I liked him, but it says that he's really sad. <laughs> You know what? It's a pity that no one, you know, because it used to be that live comedy stage shows they used to do a DVD release, didn't they? I know. I know. Yeah. It's, just, it's a I, shame. Yeah. Is there no one who can salvage the highly valuable Westminster Pier? I'd pay anything. Ooh, any- Pardon me, Miami. Mon card. Thank you. <laughs> but there's nothing on it. Look on the other side. A silly place to have it printed. <laughs> <laughs> On the back. <clears throat> now what's this? <laughs> Messrs. Fred Moriarty Limited, sunken Westminster floating pier salvage expert. Cad, <laughs> just the man we want. Sapristi, you mean the Westminster floating pier has sunk? Yes. At last, employment. All these years I've waited. <laughs> well, tell me, how do we raise the pier? Oh, don't raise the pier. What then? Lower the river. <laughs> Dead. Genius. So, moving on to the matter at hand. Um, yes, the historic so- incident that if Spike had not had a random burst of inspiration, I don't think anyone would have 
ever remembered. <laughs> no. Except no. maybe an obscure peer enthusiast. <laughs> do, do such people exist? I'm sure they do. I don't. I don't know, but like it just you know. And I'm sure. I'm sure they are. They are. They are men of a certain age with uh, glasses that they push up the bridge of their nose and say, "I think you'll find that that peer." <laughs> but also, props to the Seagoo Memoirs page for tracking down a load of um, yes. newspaper clippings and things. Yes, I saw. I that. certainly wasn't able to do that. I did look a little bit to see if I could find maybe a minute of the actual Westminster Peer Committee. To see where, well, not Westminster Committee, but um, the the Westminster like councils from that time to see whether they did discuss it. But obviously, either that's not available online or it's locked behind a newspaper archive subscription, so I can't find it. So, no, no. Well, yeah. Um, props to Nick Reeve, who's uh, behind the Seagoon Memoirs. I I saw that as well. And uh, mm-hmm. check out seagoonmemoirs.com, I think it is. Um, it's a great blog, and Nick has been a previous guest. Yes, it is. www.thesegoonmemoirs.com. There you go. There's a plug, Nick. Um, but yes, yeah, so so we we haven't even mentioned what the title is. Um, we're talking about the sinking of Westminster Pier, mm-hmm. um, which is a goon show from uh, February 1955, 15th of February 1955, and it is from the fifth series, and it's episode 21. Mm-hmm. And um. I've got a lot of notes about this. You have two. Yes, I've got, um, a, I've got a page. Got a double, double. Two, you've covered two sides of paper. Yes, <laughs> okay. there we go. Okay. Um, right. First of all, I think the first, there's there's a bit of a, um, with, with this particular episode, there's a bit of an elephant in the room, mm-hmm. isn't there? Because the show, I, I, I always like to talk about the background to shows before we start talking about the shows themselves. But of I think, course, yes. I think in this instance, we have to talk about the beginning of the show at, at the outset. Mm-hmm. Because um, Greenslade refers to it or tries to refer to it as the six ingots of Leadenhall Street and mm-hmm. not and not the sinking of Westminster Pier. The Radio Times never lies. That's right. That's right. So he's friends with he's friends with the editor. <laughs> yes, they probably play golf together. Um oh God. Uh, so do you do you know the background to this? All I really know that you can probably you can probably guess from just listening to the episode is that Spike had already written the six angles of Leadenhall Hall Street, which I also think was like a topical reference anyway. Something had happened at some point about a, a robbery or something like that. And then obviously the Westminster Pier sunk. He then wrote this with a really quick turnaround and caught the BBC by surprise. He'd obviously submitted it to the Radio Times as this is what's going out this week. And then he went, nope, this is what it's going out this week. And so they had to scramble. Yes, but that's pretty much it. So okay. as, you, as, you, as you know, I mean, it's it's all the shows from episode six onwards of the fifth series were billed as written by Spike Milligan and Eric Sykes, as, yes. as, as, as was this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you, you may know that we, we have come to believe in recent times that certain shows were very much written by one or the other yeah you know I mean. um, isn't it like i i heard i'm not sure if you said it or someone else suggested it but if eric sykes is credited first or am i completely oh, making it could that be up? it could be yeah i'm not sure i, I might be making that, that up massive massive uh citation needed <laughs> yeah but there's certain shows that sykes pretty much has gone on record to say he wrote on his mm-hmm. own okay and it would appear 
that the six ingots of Leadenhall Street, which was scheduled for the 15th of February 1955 broadcast, mm-hmm. um, he'd written, Sykes had written, or he'd planned it, or he'd, he'd perhaps got the script together, um, maybe not finished it, but it was it was in the process of being finely tuned or honed or whatever. Okay, and, and that was that was the script uh, about a bank robbery, um, which they were going to record two days before on the 13th of February. Okay. Um, but like you say, um, the week leading up to the recording, uh, the Westminster floating pier sank. Yes. And uh, on the, on the 7th of February, um, night watchmen reported that a leak had been found in the pier and which had caused the middle sections to sink. And then it would appear that by 10 AM on the 7th of February, the whole thing sank essentially. Okay. And by the way, by the way, if I'm really quiet, just imagine me nodding my head a okay. lot okay. because I don't want to keep going because that probably interrupts the flight. Okay. Okay. And there was a photo then published in the newspapers of um, this, well, of water with an out of order <laughs> sign sticking out. Amazing. Which, which, amazing. <laughs> which obviously uh, tickled Spike and it inspired him to quickly dash off this episode yeah um which is which is so topical the the night it was recorded it was still in the newspapers yeah um and so yeah so absolutely in the radio times they have the synopsis for the six ingots of leadenhall street and and greenslade right to the bitter end (laughs) trying to insist that, that that is the show ladies and gentlemen this week, as stated in the Radio Times, we give you the six ingots of Leadenhall Street. Sorry, Greeners, we're not doing that, Wallace. Oh, yes, we are. No, not this week, no. Oh, but we are, you see. On page 24 of my Radio Times, it states quite clearly the six ingots of Leadenhall Street. I know, we've changed it, you see. Oh, but does it, the Come Radio on, Times no, never lies. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that maybe they needed to, just in case people obviously, you know, tune in late, and you have to read this, the Radio Times in front of you, and it says six ingots, and suddenly you're talking about a peer. So, I don't know, maybe the BBC said, no, you have to keep saying that it's different, but mm. oh, this is just like mm. a joke. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, they did obviously, I think, from what I read, I haven't, I didn't make a note of this, but from what I was reading, I think they'd planned then to put out the six ingots the f- following week, right? But, but I think that they'd, they'd, then there'd subsequently been an actual robbery in real life oh, right. somewhere. Oh no! So that I think they had to hold it off for the following week after that, or something, something like that. <laughs> it was going to be called the blasting of Morton's Bank, something like that as oh, well. Okay. They, they were going to change the name. I can't. I, when we come to do the Six Ingots of Leadenhall Street one day, I'll have all the the details to my fingertips. Mm. Um, but I've been focusing on the sinking of Westminster Pier, of course. Of course. Um, and we don't have a, a snob. I mean, normally series five around you know the, the there is a synopsis in the radio times which i can actually read from obviously there wasn't ah. for this one however oh. there is a synopsis which was in the bbc transcription services variety catalog um, mm-hmm. i don't think it was written by milligan or, or I'm not, I, I don't know where this was sourced from this synopsis but i'm going to read it anyway okay because mm-hmm. it, it will help i think um the sinking of westminster pier brackets a terrible topical tragedy On February 7th, 1955, the Port of London Authority's valuable Westminster Pier sank. Who was responsible? Chairman Mr. Neddy Seagoon determined to find out and engaged the services of Mr. Henry Crun, 
the international oyster sexer, but Mr. Cron's novel scheme ended in failure. I don't think he had a ski, did he? No, um, he, was just, <laughs> he was just there. Just, he was just there with Fred. <laughs> then a representative of Messrs. Fred Moriarty Limited, sunken Westminster Pier floating salvage expert, happened to meet Neddy accidentally and affairs took a brighter turn. With the arrival of the Honourable Gritpipe Thin, the world's greatest water remover, with a scheme to drain the Thames and leave the pier high and dry, Seagoon foresaw success. But then someone disguised as a blue bottle put dynamite in the water pumps. Beg your pardon? Yes, someone's written You this. what, mate? Someone disguised as a blue bottle. Hmm, I don't know. It's someone's Hello? secretary. Someone's secretary's written that. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, it, anyway, it's a, it's a lot more um, faithful to the actual plot than most oh, yeah. of the synopses that the Radio Times would, would print. Mm. Um, before, okay, so... I always like to do, like I did last week when we were talking about Foiled by President Fred, I like to set each show, when we talk about a goon show, in its historical context in terms of what was happening or what was going on in the world on the day or around the time that it was broadcast. Okay, mm-hmm. And I looked and I scoured the interweb for information about interesting things that had happened on the 15th of February 1955. And um, I think the phrase is bugger all. Um, <laughs> sweet F.A. Sweet F.A. Uh, the only thing I could find, and this is this is pretty small potatoes. Um, Princess Margaret was on a tour of the West Indies. And um, that's about it. <laughs> um, Amazing. In the hip parade, softly, softly by a, a woman who's now known purely as rhyming slang, uh, Ruby Murray. Um, softly, softly was number one in the UK. I'm um, an idiot. I don't know what that is. Well, well, I don't know the tune. I know there was a TV. No, I mean, show. I mean, I mean, what the rhyming slang is. Oh, oh Ruby Murray. Oh, um, well, uh, it, 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 she said, "I'm going for a ruby." What could that mean? Oh, oh, curry. Yes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, at the time that this was recorded, Harry was appearing. Uh, regularly in Cinderella, not as Cinderella, but in Cinderella. In Cinderella. I'd see that. <laughs> the Hippodrome Theatre Coventry, so he's doing some travelling. Here's a um, here's a random thing. I can't remember what episode. It was one of the episodes that I listened to on the first on the tape when I first started listening to the Goon Show. I oh, yeah. can't remember what episode it is, but it's mate saying to him, yeah, I saw you on stage, mate. You do all right for fruit, don't you? I can't remember <laughs> what <Yes>. episode it was. <laughs> The Great Spun Plague. Well, well, lazy, getting the bird as a common complaint? Yes, I saw you last week at Coventry, mate. Yeah, you do all right for fruit, don't you? It's all right. It's all lies, folks. Lies. I'm a great success, I tell you. I was paid off last week. Now, very interestingly, though, you know, I said before the 7th of February, 1955, was the day that the Westminster floating piers sank. Yes. Now, Peter Sellers did something on the 7th of February, 1955, that he'd never done before and he never did again. And... Walk. <laughs> Very good. Sorry. <laughs> Got a bus. Um, uh, right. Do you remember last year? There was um, uh, huge excitement because a lost Hancock episode had been discovered. Yeah. So on the 7th of February, 1955, 
Peter Sellers recorded that Hancock episode. Okay, so the, the very day that Westminster Pier went underwater, uh, Sellers was working with Hancock, which I think that's quite nice. Nice. Mm. And in a week or two, by the way, just giving a bit of plug for a future show, I'm oh. going to be uh, I'm going to be joined by the the chaps who are behind the Very Nelly and Armful podcast, which nice. is Han- Hancock po- podcast. They're joining me, and we're going to be talking about the Marriage Bureau, which is the only uh, Hancock's half hour that Peter Sellers appeared in. And we're going to be talking about that. And I will be bringing in, I will be certainly talking about this episode as well, Westminster. Oh, um, oh yeah, because we've been there at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just, just to fill time, really. Um, so, uh, so this show. So, why, first of all, why this show? Why did you? What is it about this episode that you love so much? I don't know. I've I listened to it relatively well within the last year. Of just um just I just don't have during much in my binge of just listening through episodes and I just I just keep coming back to it I just really like it it's the right balance of evergreen jokes whilst also being topical and being kind quite sharp and also it'll come back late it'll come back later but also just it was one of the moments where I just went you have moments of suddenly realizing how old particular things are. Like I'll use another example in another episode. I think it's the Spanish suitcase. They make a joke about the archers. And I remember listening to that and going, how long has the archers been running? <laughs> it's like they, they do that thing when talk about Fred the Oyster later. I'm pretty sure it's a David Attenborough impression, isn't it? Um, it's, well, it's, it's meant to be Richard Dimbleby, I think. Oh, is it? Oh no. But like, it sounds to me but it such might, like a David Attenborough impression. But hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I've got this original script here. I've got Ooh, a copy of Peter Sellers' script and uh, a copy of Peter. Oh my God. Not not the original. Obviously. I know, I know. But um, let me just see. Uh, it blew. Well, basically, it blew my mind when I was listening to it because obviously he was around at the time. David Attenborough. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was. Was it Zoo? Not Zoo Time. Was it Zoo Time? Uh, I don't oh, know. He was doing. I know there was something with a big egg <laughs> that, that he did in the fifty. I don't know. Um, but by the way, I'm just found in the script. Yeah, he's down as Peter brackets Dimbleby. Damn it! Yeah. Damn it! Because basically, yeah. just pretending in an alternative years where it isn't Dimbleby, that it is David Attenborough, because it basically sounds like David Attenborough. It should be David Attenborough. It should, it should be. be. It basically is. Peter Sellers. No, you're wrong, Peter. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ouija <laughs> board with Peter Sellers spirit. Well, Here's the, thing, wrong. <laughs> here's the thing then, Molly, right? Because as I'm going to come to you in a moment, the original script that I've got, as I say, I've got the script here and the program as broadcast, very different things. They're very different. Oh, yeah. pieces. There's a lot oh, yeah. of, there's a lot of things that are in the script that weren't in the show. Yeah. A lot but of I'm just changes. going to pretend for a minute that, that it is David Attenborough. The fact is that it would, because he was around at the time. It kind of, I remember listening to it and thinking, David Attenborough is it has been around for that long that there can be an episode of The Goon Show where Peter Sellers does an impression of him and people instantly recognize it as a David Attenborough impression and it's still doing it and people are still doing it now. It's like, anyway, probably cut Ooh. that bit out because it's entirely pointless, but no, 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 but but right, first of all, Milligan, of course, used to do David Attenborough as well. But um let's let's just assume while they're rehearsing this show. Yeah. Peter's saying, well, I could do it as Dimbleby, but why don't I do it as David Attenborough? Yeah. So maybe, maybe. 
maybe the actual recording he decided to channel uh david attenborough uh, and of course, he, he went on to work a lot with his brother, didn't he? With, with Dickie. Oh, yeah. Um, anywho. Um, anywho. But so, so yeah, so it's just, it's just, it's, it's just, just, it's your comfort, like it's it. comfort, comfort listening to you. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are a couple of them like, um, oh, God. Yes. Uh, Westminster Pier. There's a Spanish suitcase I like. There's, um, oh, God. The one with the, uh, the Scottish one, the one. one with the thing, the one with the thing, that the one. Scottish yeah, one. That one, yeah, that the one. Scottish one that the narrows Scottish it down. One. Yes, Mac I mean, uh, the, uh, the um, oh my god, it's actually treasure in the tower, the lake, the lake, treasure in the lake, treasure in the, the lake. lake. Yeah, I like that one. I like it so much that I remember the name. <laughs> That's right. <'cause laughs> I, know, I think you, like, I there think are a couple you... of them. I just like, I just like to listen to. They're just nice. I think you wanted to cover treasure in the lake last time, and and it was already slated. Someone else, Chris Shaw. Yeah, already... I was absolutely fine. Yeah, you were fine. You weren't pissed off. Although I do, I just want to say that I shout out that one joke I love, which is the um when the audience realise there's a bagpipes playing underneath, <laughs> and and there's just a pause, and then just hysterical <laughs> ripples of laughter as <laughs> you just realise. Yeah. Just, yes. Just just yeah. I'm just the shortest part. <laughs> just love it. It's great. So, so good. <laughs> anyway, back to the episode at hand. <laughs> okay, so the show, um, I kind of want to go through the show in a fairly linear fashion. I don't know how you want to do this. but oh, no, um... yes, but I literally have my notes in linear fashion. Literally okay. starting at the first Green Slade Live with the East Actions Working Men's Crip Club Crazy Cabaret, which he says. That's right, that's right. Interestingly, in this, and I'm, I'm going to bore you here because I'm going to keep dragging in bits from the original script that weren't, Oh, no, absolutely fine. Weren't actually either, either, either were recorded and were not used mm-hmm. or just were dropped. Um, it's amazing, actually, looking at the, the script and the show as it went out, there's a, there's a lot, relatively speaking, there's a lot that's in the script that wasn't recorded. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, or as I say, it was cut. Um but but yeah, so the show in the, in the original script, um, when when Greenslade uh, you know announces uh, clear the floor, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, Sellers comes in and and uh, does that routine about the old deans dropped another clangor, and then there's some crosstalk with Peter and Spike, yeah, which is which is which was later four shows later reused or modified or yeah, know, Spike Spike used it in the white box of Great Boundfield. Yeah, I do. I, I'm glad you kept it because I do like that bit. I, I do like that joke. It's, yes. it's, not, it's an old fashioned joke. I love it. Yeah. But it uh, also explains why randomly at the end of Greenslade's announcement that you just hear Peter as Bloodnock, I think, screaming. Yeah. Off the bike, <laughs> just for no reason. <laughs> um, um, White Box of Great Badfield is my favorite goon show. Ah, that's nice. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, as we, as we alluded to before, Greenslade announces announces the six ingots of Leadenhall Street. Um, Harry argues with them, and and uh, Greenslade insists that the Radio Times never lies. Never lies. Peter Peter announces it as the story of the Port of London Authority's valuable hand carved, oil painted, valuable floating pier. Um, and in the script, Harry says, "Right, hands up. Who sunk it? Who sunk Westminster Pier? Eh?" And that bit was cut out or not recorded. And then you get uh, the character of, you're talking about bagpipes, McGoonagall. McGoonagall with a fantastic violin, slightly off violin. Um, 
Yes, and so we have extra talent to play it badly when you play it well. Sellers played the piano very badly, but I don't think he he could play it well. Um, (laughs) Les Les Dawson could play the piano very well, but he always used to play it badly, didn't he? Yeah, it's like Uh, trying to sing badly if you could sing okay, mm, or act badly if you can act all right. I find it very difficult to podcast badly. Oh yeah, Yeah, I can tell. uh, so we have this doggerel from McGonagall about the pier sinking. And, and lots of, oh, yes. howling. <laughs> and then this meeting of Westminster councillors. And Sellers as the Cockney councillor, who isn't identified by name, but in the script, he's Winnickstein. Okay. Hmm. Right. Which makes me think, I okay. I recognise that name. Yes, well, you will do, because the, the, the show before this, as broadcast, was the remake of 1985 that they did. <gasps> Oh, right. And in that, the the leader of the ITA was, was referred to as Morris Winnickstein. Yes, but a completely different voice. Oh, different voice. And also, as the name sort of alludes to, uh, Jewish. Yeah. Uh, whereas we've yeah. got this Sellers doing his Cockney counsellor. Yeah, um, it's almost kind of bordering on a mixture of mate and his character from The Lady Killers, which I rewatched recently. Yeah. And I, I forgot how much I love that. Book. Brilliant, isn't it? So good. Also, really creepy. There's a scene where he, where, where Alec Guinness's character turns around. It's all really creepy. Anyway, but um, I think one of my favourite bits in that is is the bit with Kenneth Connor and Frankie Howard. Oh yeah, they're just there doing a comedy <laughs> bit. Just like that now for five minutes of, of these two. Attention, Westminster councillors. Inquiry into the sinking of the valuable Westminster Pier on the seventh of Feb, nineteen fifty-five, is now in the old session now. Chairman, Mr. Ned Seagull, and the right Charlie looks in that cardboard drill we have it out. <laughs> Gentlemen, for the Port of London Authority, I must state the day before the valuable Westminster Pier sank, it was inspected and certified riverworthy. Who was the man who inspected it? It was none other than... I resign! Resignation accepted. <laughs> on the grounds of incompetence. Anyone else want the old job now? I'll take it on. Right, name? Ned Seagull. Same as the last bloke. All right, carry on. <laughs> now, did anybody actually see the pier sink? Just, mate, Jim Tula. Then why isn't he here? He went down with it, mate. Yeah, it's an evergreen joke of, I resign. All right, who's yes. going to take it? Me. Same as the last bloke. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you mentioned William. William turns up briefly. Um, with a higher voice, the, the the series five William voice, which is mm. not quite bedded in yet, it's not quite as um, mellifluous. Is that right? Mm. Oh no, I'll use that. Uh, it's a bit higher, a bit more s- sort of crun-like. Yeah. Um, the, the but let me ask you the 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 version of Sinking Westminster Pier that you listen to it is is it the the fullest version? Is it the I have no idea. It's the one on BBC Sounds. Okay, so I haven't listened to the BBC Sounds episode or version. Um, but does it have the bit where they call lunch and then they say, well, hang on, there's a witness that we need to speak to, and you have the, the sound Boots. of footsteps walking. Yeah. <laughs> I think that is brilliant. Oh, brilliant. And also, randomly, going back to seeing Spike the play, with the, they have a prolonged section about the live sound effects. Yeah. Since seeing that. I just imagine whatever sound effect person they have, just either with the boots on or maybe on their hands, doing that. I'm <laughs> yes. trying to figure out. It's like, did they did they do it lighter to, or did they actually just get someone with heavy boots to walk in and walk out? I just, well, I, I'm like, thinking they possibly put a 
they sort of put a microphone near the floor mm. and they just had someone literally just walking up past it and, and off and they just <laughs> and slamming a dog somewhere in the distance yes which was very well done oh it's very well next witness And Eccles turns up, of course. Sounding very, very like Goofy. He varies in goofiness. <laughs> yeah. Depending on the episode. For some reason, I'm the you know, when he says I'm the famous Eccles. It sounds basically yeah. like Goofy. Yeah. I know they're very they're different and that he didn't base it on Goofy and things like that. Anyway, but I don't know, he just at that point it just sounded was like, no, that just sound that does sound like Goofy. But Eccles <laughs> came first. No, did he? No, he didn't. Did no, he? he didn't. I can't no, remember. He didn't. No, he didn't. Sorry. <laughs> he's the original. He's the famous Eccles. He's the original dude. He, he, he's a one-off. Um, yeah. He mentions Clapham Common. What did you think that was about? I just assumed it was a non-sequitur. Like, you've heard of Clapham Common. Well, you mind what you say about it. I was like, I, I don't know. Maybe it was... Wow. Yeah, with, with that line, yeah, it, it, it may as well be a non-sequitur. But in the actual script, he mentions Clapham Common, and then he says you know what I'm talking about, to Seagoon. Which I would imagine would have got probably a, a ripple of laughter, knowing laughter from certain sections of the audience because Clapham Common was a notorious, or is, or was, is not, I'm not, I'm not sure about now, but it certainly was a bit of a notorious um, uh, cruising venue for, oh. for for gay men who obviously um, oh. back back then it was illegal. Mm-hmm. Um it was relative. It, how long are we talking? Probably late nineties. There was a famous um, story in the news about um, a Labour MP called Ron Davis, right, forced to resign because he he was caught on Clapham Common with some oh dear gentlemen. I'm sure he was robbed or something, and and he said there's something to do with Caribbean cooking, and I can't remember what. I didn't bother. <laughs> I'll have to look it up. Well, you mind what you say. Yeah, um, I can't remember. But anyway, but that was Clapham Common. Mm. Um, it was to make a reference to Fabian of the Yard, which I had to Google. Oh, yes, which um, which was... Which a, I, thought, I thought it said Fagan of the Yard, but then I Googled it and it said Fabian of the Yard. So. <laughs> yeah, Fabian, so, um, which was a, a contemporary British police television show. This is Fabian of Scotland Yard. And also they mentioned Russian frogmen. Which again I, is an evergreen kind of just blame it on the Russians. I can't remember. Is it is it is it the whistling spy enigma or is it another one where um Neddy goes up to Henry Crun and Henry Crun says, He's going to Russia, get him. Um Oh yeah. Well of course this was the time of Burgess and McLean and and um the 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 famous uh British defectors. Yeah, they yeah. they defected in 1951 to 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 Russia and resurfaced in in 56, um and and the the idea of people defected to Russia was huge. Mm, oh yeah, 50s. I imagine. Yeah, and, and, and you know there being 
not like in America, reds under the beds, but you know, people seeing spies everywhere. The, the, the what was it? The Portland spies. Um, there was a lot of spies, sort of, and George Blake, and and obviously later Kim Philby. All these, yeah, all these people in positions of response uh, of authority and responsibility oh, yeah. in in um, British establishment who were oh yeah exposed. Had, and stuff like the umbrella, the famous umbrella gun, and things like that. Oh, uh, Georgie Markov, yeah. You know yeah. more about this. You're saying names. I'm nodding. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Walking over a bridge in London and got a. Got a, a, a tip, a poison tip of an umbrella in the yeah. flank of his leg, or something like that. Oh, um, creepy. Uh, and then we have getting back to the show. Uh, Greenslade yep. announces. Uh, meanwhile, on a fish train traveling from Leeds to Salisbury, and, and a particular funky Max Gildray tune. Well, I mentioned that, yeah, but in the script, there's a bit, there's a total scene that they've cut out. Really? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to turn to it now. It's not very good, and I can see why they cut it out. Um, <laughs> but it's basically it's just a bit of cross-talk with Peter and Harry. Oh, that would have been fun. Reading the way it's written, I'm guessing that they're playing, they're both playing Yorkshiremen, because Harry could play a half-decent Yorkshireman. Yeah. Um, and I won't, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll just give you a little taste of it. And the scene basically, so so you have Greenside saying, meanwhile, on a fish train traveling from Leeds to Salisbury, and then you have Peter saying, you keep it in a hole in the wall, you say. And Harry says, I, I'm looking after it for a neighbor. They've gone to Grimsby for the holidays. And Peter says, oh, lovely place. And then Harry says, yes. So they give it to me and I stuck it in a hole in the wall. And it goes on in this vein. And then at one point, Harry says, I think it's a quinger or quinger. And Peter says, quinger, whatever's that? And Harry says, I don't know. You see, it's in an hole in the wall looking after it for the neighbours. She eats three pounds of sausages at one sitting. And it goes on, it goes on like this, right? Uh, and it leads on to... The Max Galbraith number. So I don't know what the hell that was all about. Anyway, I would love to hear it just because it's probably it's one of those spike jokes that like has no purpose, it has no point, and yes, it's just fun to listen to. Like every men and men and hen. <laughs> well, they they kind of did a few of these in series five. These these real sort of non sequitur scenes. Um, yeah. I'm thinking the miss top of my head missing scroll. I think mm-hmm. there, there was one of those. Um, but I'm thinking, you know, with AI technology now, could, <laughs> give it a few years, they could probably recreate that scene. Or well, why not just employ the employ the wonderful actors from the spike plate to recreate it? Well, indeed. indeed. Are you are you <laughs> on, pay your some, actors, folks. Are you on <laughs> some sort of commission? <laughs> no, I just felt like this. Uh, oh god, the whole AI thing. Look, anyway, anyway, uh, yeah. oh, we live in the future and it's bad. It okay. is. It is. But um, yeah, the Max Gilder tune is particularly funky, this one. It is. It's called Brazil. Yeah. It's weird because actually the sec- the, 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 the Greenslade introduction on a fish train from Leeds to Salisbury, it kind of works because it does sound like it's like a, like a train, like a... Hmm. So uh, I didn't really question it. <laughs> no. Um, and and we, we after Max, we get this whole scene with Min and Henry. Mm-hmm. Um there's no there's no point to it but basically no. uh henry is referred to as a professor who may be able to help in terms of raising the peer 
yeah what Seagoon has been charged with doing um and i guess this is the this show the sinking westminster pier is is most famous for the fact that it is the official introduction of the sound effect which is known as fred the oyster yes so minnie and henry eventually after wittering on for what seems like hours Mm -hmm. as they are want to do yes uh they they uh inform Seagoon that they are oyster sexes um by the way in the script Peter's script so either Peter or someone else has written a lot in this during this sort of dialogue between Minnie yeah. and Henry um and and it says in the script it essentially says just sort of improvise <laughs> um and there's on in the script you can just about make out he's written Roman Catholic oyster sexes um he's written I'm quartermaster crun and so on um and it was like they were trying and it's there's lots of crossings out as well so they're trying to make the oyster talk flow better maybe <laughs> and also and you mentioned it callback you mentioned the greatest mountain in the world he's written is pearl in okay which oh, is the, that's interesting yeah and they talk about so so they they introduce um this oyster to Sigrun. I don't know what size this oyster is. I have no idea, but they seem they, they're equal opportunities for oysters. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and they say that they 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 encourage Sigrun to talk to to talk to Fred and Fred. which which he's a bit embarrassed, a bit self-conscious about, but eventually he does. And then we get the, the reference the, to early closing, which Apparently oh, yes. it was a post-war thing that they that's did right. that no longer exists. That I love that's weirdly what I really love about the game shows. They have little snippets like that of just like little things that it's like, I don't know, listening to your grandparents, suddenly them just dropping like a bit of information that you don't know, you know, someone yes. wouldn't yes. know about unless they were there. So it's just Absolutely. Little, little snippets of history. You go, oh yeah. I think it was was wet, yeah, Wednesday was early closing. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Um but we hear this this very elaborate sort of creaking, which is the shell of the oyster opening, and then you hear this this abomination. <laughs> <laughs> it's a donkey and a raspberry, and what sounds like blood knock, but I don't think it's blood knock. It's I like a blood knock noise. I know what you're saying. I think I think they've taken various sounds that a mule has made and kind of splice them together and maybe added bits to it. But it's essentially the yeah. sound apparently of a mule making rasping noises with its lips to cool them. Okay. And also um, uh, farting basically. Because mm. um, going back to, I remember in the place by, I'm not sure what research they did, but the sound effects woman character does say that it is Harry Seacombe blowing the raspberry which is very obviously sounds yeah, like could have been so, so i'm not yeah. sure where they got that from but you know <laughs> wherever they got that information it seems sound i don't know but i mean spike it used to crease spike up hearing this sound effect and, and i <laughs> my understanding was that it was all more or less an actual donkey but oh i'm God. sure it's probably been enhanced in some in some respect um mm. now that that sound effect had briefly appeared I mentioned it before the missing scroll episode, which was two episodes prior to this. Oh. That that you you did get a, a a bit of the sound effect in that. That's but, interesting. But its official sort of unveiling is in this this show. <laughs> um, interestingly, this was showed 
21. They had like, what, another five or six to go before the end of the series. And they always like to do an end of series, like a rap party, I suppose. Yeah. You know, a drinks party after the last episode of the series. And around this time, producer Peter Eason was drawing up a guest list. And um, obviously Peter Sparkarry and all them, all the families and friends and all the rest of it. But he also, on the guest list, he included Fred the Oyster. Uh, an invite for Fred. Yes. <laughs> and then we get uh, Sigun is desperate now by this point because Minnie and Henry have been good as useless, basically. Random side gag is when he when he tells them to go away after he eats Fred. Um, they run off and there's like a load of clattering noises. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Which I suppose, I'm not sure, is that a Marx Brothers gag that he stole or is that is that something Spike did on his own? I seem to have it in my head that have loads of cutlery in sleeves. Ah, uh, I don't know. Citation needed. I'm not quite sure. I remember it being like a, a comedy thing. I'm not quite sure if I've just made up. Is it meant to be cutlery or is it meant to be just bits of them falling off? Maybe. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's an equally mm. funny, mm. an equally funny idea. Yeah. Um, a secret chance for someone who can help himself, which the peer Moriarty arrives, of course. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I love it. He says, pardon, pardon me, Miami. Moncard. <laughs> <laughs> and also he's called Fred Moriarty. Yes. Usually Jim. Is it Jim Moriarty? No. Yes, it is normally Jim. Yeah. It's Fred Moriarty. That's Spike just like the word, like the name Fred this episode. Yeah, I think it was a bit fluid around this period, whether it was Fred or Jim or or whatever. Yeah. And and it just but by lucky chance, he's a sunken Westminster floating peer salvage expert, <laughs> handily. Uh, Last employment. Uh, yes. He's been desperate for employment. Um, but his 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 idea is, his plan is you, you don't raise the pier, you you lower the river, um, which is the sort of logic that's dad logic. My dad would have loved that sort of mm. gag. I know he would have loved yeah. that sort of gag, you know. Um, and he says, you know, let's go and meet my my colleague, Grip Pipes then. Yeah. Um, in the script, <laughs> in the script, there's a bit that wasn't used. Oh. Uh, and I can see why. He in the script he says something along the lines of you know he's 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 good at uh, getting rid of water or something like that and 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 then he, and Moriarty says you remember the Great Sahara Ocean and Seagun says you mean the Sahara Desert and Moriarty says it is now um, yeah um, and then and then Seagun says and you have the necessary treble output, tinfoil, lavender sealed, hydraulic pumping gear with attachment for Futo, the wonder boot exploder. Again, Mor- with uh, how many? There's yeah, loads of gags in various episodes about like the wonder leg grower or yeah. the boot exploder. Or- <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's right. And Futo, the wonder boot exploder, as far as I know, was first referenced in March 54 in the series four show, The Saga of the Internal Mountain. Story will swell with pride, the feet of every true Englishman. Woman, child, cat, dog, chicken, mongoose, red-faced baboon, gorilla, tooth, electrified flannel drawers. <laughs> to say nothing of Futo, the wonder boot exploder. Just as they will ask what Futo, the wonder boot exploder, has to do with electrified flannel drawers. Well, we shall see. It comes up, crops up quite a number of times, significantly in the episode uh scratch i think 
Yeah. Um, Who knew that Goon Show had continuity? I know. Well, it's just Spike just sort of squirrels away these names. and I mean, yeah. Futo, Futo even turns up in a, an episode of, um, at least one episode of show called Fred as well. Yeah. Um, and then we meet Thin, Grip Pipe Thin. And he it's, says, a very, it's a very bizarre mental image because he's four foot deep in water. He's up mm-hmm. to his neck in it, but he's also in a dinghy. Smoking, uh, smoking a hooker. Gin. A hooker, yeah. Um, you know what a hooker is, don't you? Oh no, I know what a hooker is, but a gin filter. Gin filter, hooker. Okay. But he's also uh, he's up to his neck, but also in a rubber dinghy. <laughs> I don't understand. Spike, why? And this is redolent. This bit here is redolent. Reminded me of again, callback, treasure in the lake, where he says, oh, have, yeah. a, "Have a glass of water, daddy." Yeah. Um, <laughs> just reduce the. Oh, God. Reduce the depth of the water. Um, I love randomly about the Westminster Spear thing. It, there's random flashes that Grip Pike is perhaps one of the more intelligent characters, but also has, he, has his, he has his random moments where he's just a stupid, where he says in, in, in Treasure in the Lake, he says, fishing without rods, they've got to die sometime. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just indolence, I think, more than <laughs> yes. stupidity. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, he mentions having his feet drawn. He says, I hate having my feet drawn, except by Graham Sutherland. Uh, mm. Now, in the script, they'd written, uh, they'd, in the script, it said, I hate having my feet drawn, except by very good artists. And they'd, they'd scribbled out, you see, Peter had scribbled out very good artists and written in Graham Sutherland. Yeah. Um, What's that, about... Is that a topical reference to, is that something about a painting of Churchill or something? Yes. I can't remember. Yes. Yeah. So Graham Sutherland was um, very influential British artist of the time mm-hmm. um, who, who wasn't given to realistic photographic portraiture, um, shall we say. Um, mm-hmm. And he apparently annoyed Winston Churchill when he painted his portrait and um, which was unveiled in November 54. So literally, what, three months, three, four months before the oh, show? Wow. The portrait is a remarkable example of modern art. <laughs> and apparently, the, I mean, the, the picture, it's not very flattering, but it, you can tell who it is immediately. You know? Yeah. Um, but apparently it was um, later burnt or destroyed by Clementine, is that her name? Lady... Lady... Oh no! Uh, yeah, uh, Churchill's wife. Whatever yeah. her name was, I can't think of her name. Clementine, Whatever her name was. Whatever her name was. Um, you know her. Although, 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 she did concede that it did look quite like Churchill. So I don't know why she destroyed it. But anyway, um, but it's obviously a topical reference because you can hear the audience going, "Ooh, yeah, <laughs> joke a little bit." Yeah. Well, that thing. I hate having my feet drawn, except by a very good artist. It seemed a bit like a placeholder. Yeah, it's a, it is a, it is like a bit of a rubbish line. Like any, yeah, you would obviously want to replace a very good artist with, yes, a name. Yes, yeah, yeah. Maybe they well, wanted to run it past legal. <laughs> well, who cares? Like, maybe maybe, like, maybe. I mean, well, when well, has Spike ever been cautious about it before? No, well, they 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 had to be careful about referencing Churchill. Oh yeah. Show. So I, I guess it's, it's an oblique, yeah. yeah, it's an oblique reference to Churchill, I suppose. Mm. Um, what happens now? Uh, oh, uh, but that, he's a jolly good seagull. I've, I've just written down random, random words. Oh, Gladys Ellington and Waterbaby. Waterbaby. 
yeah that's interesting as well because um in the script and i haven't obviously I haven't seen all the all the original scripts for all the goon shows but in the script that i've got for this show they've actually they there's a whole page of the lyrics for lean baby typed out i don't quite know why um i would have thought ray would have had his own lyrics to hand but (laughs) who knows i mean ray ray is in the show later on so maybe yes randomly for some reason he's just sort of like all like one or two lines just saying me strong He's, yeah. Like, so why does he? Why does he need to be here? It's like, yeah, like, it's nice, nice hearing him, but same thing. It's like, why? I know. It's very strange. <laughs> uh, Greenslade announces uh, part three of the six ingots of Leadenhall Street, and then uh, drink crazed um, Peruvian trombonist with rumpled feet. Yeah, reference to Benteen, maybe Peruvian. I don't know. I was thinking maybe Mike Benteen's, you know, Peruvian roots there, possibly, mm-hmm. maybe not. But from the third act, we hear uh, April in Paris. The tune April yes. Paris being regularly employed yeah. by the characters. Including, Here comes a Charlie, which I, <laughs> I like. You, you can kind of mentally see them kind of looking over at Neddy as he comes over. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the episode uh, last week, we, we covered Foiled by President Fred, and we spent myself and uh, Jeffers from Podcast and Cat Flapper, we were talking about that show. And in that, they uh, repurpose April and Paris to Christmas in Capri. Uh, yeah, April in Paris is, is, is a 1932 tune which was composed for the Broadway musical Walk a Little Faster by Vernon Duke and Yip Harburg. Yip. Very nice. What sort also, of a name is Yip? <laughs> <laughs> it's a strange one. It's like it's like Americans called Brick. It's like Tad. Tad. Pab. <laughs> Pop. Oh, God. <laughs> Go on. Um, in my notes, when I was just, I think this came to be in a moment of, moment of um, uh, topical, topicalness of a, I just wrote, is HS2 a grip pipe plot? <laughs> right, why? Because <laughs> it's one of those, it just felt like suddenly just, it come to, they were talking about, you know, just like spinning this out for as long as possible to oh, get as yes. much money. And so I just oh. thought it sounds like HS2. It's yeah. just to a grip pipes then, but it sounds like it. Like like uh, Crossrail, yeah. Like it was going to be, yeah. That's what I. That's what I meant. Sorry, yeah. The HS2 <laughs> railway just like, just keeps going somewhere. Grip pipes just, just getting him to sign various checks. <laughs> well, that's it because there's a couple of sequences here where he's just getting Neddy to sign his life away, isn't he? Oh yeah, including a will. And and this is the point where um, Milligan decides actually we need a bit of uh, plot here. So uh, Seagoon confronts Grip Pipe and Moriarty, says that they've been pumping for eight weeks, but the river hasn't gone down an, an inch. Well, well, but 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 the Treasury has actually paid um, Thin and Moriarty three million pounds. Yeah. Um, and then and then Seagoon spots this long pipe leading from yeah. the river along the embankment past Foxhall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, quick quick thing. It's just yeah. my favourite joke of the episode. Yeah. Is um, if the Thames is still full of water in twenty four hours, the government's going to step in. Good riddance to them. I, I I just love it. I I love that joke. It's so good. That's a well, that, 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 yeah, but that's a, that, that that's a joke that could have come out of Take It From Here. Oh yeah, I it's think. it's one of those very old. It's very. It's, yes. it's just it's so good. It could be you know you kind of you hope that one day your life aligns that you can make that joke organically somewhere. And people laugh at you and think you're so good, so and funny. Claim it, claim it as your own. <laughs> claim it as your own. It's one yes. of those kind of things. Yes, it's, not, yes. it's not a spike joke, but it's a good joke. Yes. 
Um, Seagoon follows this long pipe along the embankment past Vauxhall, Chelsea Bridge, Putney Bridge, Barnes Bridge, Mortlake Brewery. Uh, and then he goes, he goes into the brewery and emerges um, rat-assed, essentially. <laughs> um, <laughs> like after, what, five seconds, maybe? Oh, my God, he can't take his drink. I'm not quite sure whether it's a time skip, but I, don't, I, I thought it was a time skip, but now you said that, I just, no, that's, a new, that's my new, that's my new well, idea. Have, that have he, you ever seen um, Back to the Future 3? Yes. Yeah, he just the looks, old... so he just stares at the drink. Well, he has, he has, well, he has one sip of neat whiskey and yeah is absolutely wasted um i'm imagining Seagun is a bit it's a bit of a lightweight like like christopher lloyd in mm. back to the future three then then he falls in the river he does and is drowning or seems and to be drowning i i love this blood knock bit i don't know it's just so pure pure greedy blood knock yes it is yes it is <laughs> Because so blood, blood knock for, for some reason is on the scene And he's Ned's old commanding officer From India yeah. Turns out um, Ned is Batman No he's not, he's, he's an old Batman um, yeah. <laughs> That's it Ned is his old Batman um, Who was that I'm trying to There's a. This is going to bug me now you've said that uh, Peter Ustinov Was it was Batman during the war to someone famous, or was it Peter? Oh, I, don't, I, I have no idea. Oh, anyway, I'll cut that bit out. Um, mm. But um, but no, blood blood knocks there, and he's he's just sp- spending a lot of time just reminiscing about the old days. Oh yeah, he's trying he's trying to reminisce while Nettie's drowning. He's third regular <laughs> officer. Don't interrupt, please. I'm trying. I'm trying. To, I'm trying to have a moment. I say, Seagull, remember that day in Pune at the Maritari's restaurant. Oh, she was a boutique, Bibby. Oh, yes. <laughs> Don't interrupt, please. <laughs> I took her to Grant Road and... What? Drowning, you say? Surely not drowning. <laughs> not Neddy Seagull drowning. Not my old Batman not drowning. Why, you were the plunging and trudging stroke champion of Kirky, weren't you? Let me see, it must have been 1903, I think. No, it... no, no, it was 1904, I remember now. Save you, lad, I can't swim, lad. One of the, the locations from the old days he mentions is Grant Road. Okay. Uh, yeah. And when he mentions Grant Road, some members of the audience snigger. Um, and the reason for that is that Grant Road was a notorious red light district in Ah, uh, of course, well, yeah, naturally. Bombay, Bombay. Not now Mumbai, obviously. Uh, yeah. which obviously um Milligan and Sellers would would, would have known. Uh, but obviously Bloodnot can't save Seagan because he's no good at swimming, but he knows someone in Hackney Wick who is an excellent <laughs> swimmer. Um and he 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 demands that Seagan get out, lend him the money for a cab so he can get to Hack- Hackney Wick. <laughs> Uh, and then he proceeds to strip strip him of all, all he owns, literally. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like I just love the fact that he kind of just it's like, oh yes, there's wet clothes now. I'm not love this lot. And just just like the fact that he just, I just love I, I just love the way he says, ah, oh, just gonna flog this. And then he just runs away That's into usual. the night. This is the point the the where where Seagun has the realization that Grip Pipe has been pumping water out of the Thames at Westminster and back again into the river at Mortlake. And he decides to avenge himself and destroy the pump that very night, aided by Eccles and Blue Bottle, of course. Yeah. 
Blue Bottle, who pauses for live audience sausages, but doesn't get any. Uh, he he <clears throat> refers to himself as moving like George Raft in I Am the Law. Um, and I'm the Law. Again, was... a reference that flies over my head. Like yeah. <laughs> well, we had Fabian of the Yard yes. earlier. Um, this is a this is a US police procedural TV series, which had the actor George Raft in the in the lead role. And it was appearing on BBC TV in late 54 up to July 55. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously Spike was a fan. And it, kind of, it reminds me just the way he said it, of the way Blue Bottle was talking about it, in the same way that Pike in Dad's Army talks about um, just like, he you know says, oh, I'm going to do it like like this person did in this film. Yes. Oh, like Harold Flynn did in this. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just excitable young boys like pretending to be. Heroes. <laughs> do you As know? Do, do you know of George Raft, the actor George Raft? No. Okay. Um, I know he was interested. I do know a bit about him because, for various reasons, he was um, he was a not he was a successful actor. He was more of a B list mm. actor. As he was never yeah. a huge star. I know he had some links to the mafia. I think as well. Yeah. Um, but he was famous in a way for turning down roles that he shouldn't have turned down yeah. like loads of role loads of film roles that he should have taken you know that would have been a boost to his career like he yeah he was offered and he turned down the Maltese Falcon Oof. um and double indemnity mm. uh he was in one of my favorite films some like it hot <gasps> Wait, was um, he in some like it hot he was spats, spats. Oh, he was God. the main the main you know the main villain that's yeah. trying to Yes. Trying to rub out. Oh, Jack that's Lemon. him. That's that's George Raft. All right, Spats. Services are over. Let's go. Go where? A little country club. We run for retired bootleggers. I'm putting your name up for membership. I don't join nothing. Oh, you like it then. I'll get the prison tailor to fit you with a pair of special spats. Striped. Oh god, I need to rewatch that film. It's, so it's good. great, isn't it? And he did <laughs> he doesn't just he, have a bird, he has a bicycle. <laughs> he um he did um he, he he popped up in a small role in Casino Royale in 67, which obviously is a Sellers film. Yeah. I haven't seen that film, but I've heard how unhinged it is. Yeah, it's not it's Like not there's enjoyable. aliens in it and things, isn't there, or something? Uh, <laughs> James Bond uh, film should go completely batshit again. It's not They're well, too serious now. <laughs> I, well, you say that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm saying a, that as, a, as a, not a person who's really into James Bond, but I'd, I'd happily watch them if they were that unhinged. <laughs> Well, you want to see, there's a film called Modesty Blaze from around the same period, 67, I think. Uh, and that's that and Casino Royale, they were two great exa- examples of films that were very self-indulgent of that period, <laughs> which were filled with stars, lots of stars and just anything goes. Yeah. Kind of um, uh, George Ralph, one of his last roles, I only mention this because it's a notoriously bad film. Um, he was in a film, I'm sure you've never seen it, from 1978 or 9, called Sextet. Oh, my God. I've never heard of it, but I can imagine. I can probably write the plot. Like, wow. No, I can't. No, it's it's, like it, sounds, it sounds bad. I've never seen it, honestly. <laughs> but it's notorious for being just this kind of this awful fairly big budget sex comedy from Ugh. the late 70s with lots of 
famous people, and including, I believe, getting back to James Bond, I think a young Timothy Dalton had a mm. had a significant role in it. But do you know who the the main character in Sextet was <laughs> at the age of, I don't know, 103, um, vamping it up, Mae West? Oh, my God. Yeah, I've, as I say, I've not seen it. I, I should see it just to kind of... <laughs> just to scratch that itch but um anyway anyway yeah. we, we 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 uh we digress um mm. and we have the we, we we have this you mentioned mentioned it before ellington has a small role as elinga which is very problematic um, yeah <laughs> i mean at least uh, there's something to do <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> but at what cost <laughs> i know and then greenslade for some reason greenslade announces that uh, we take you now into mr seagun's stomach to hear how the oyster has feared and this is where uh, Attenborough turns up and reports on the progress. It is Attenborough. Shut up, the... sellers. Shut up, ghost of sellers somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, you're wrong. This is, our, hey, this, this is Tyler's podcast and what he says. David Attenborough, played by Peter Sellers, he reports on the progress of the oyster as it travels through Ned's digestive tract. I've actually written that. You probably have because you've got the script. I've written down the, the various food that they pass Boiled spuds for breakfast, foul meatloaf salad from the BBC Canteen, another dig at the BBC Canteen from the, like, 1985 they, yeah. uh, episode they did. I think it's something I think all BBC shows did and still probably still do inside the BBC Canteen. Yes. Um, a dollop of steamed duff and three quarts of mild during rehearsal. I don't know what that means. That's, that's um, beer. Oh yes, I I thought so. But I didn't really wasn't entirely sure, but yeah. Um, so he's, he he woofed down during rehearsals. Four pounds of mixed chocolate, and eight pints of I can't tell if he's saying of eight pints of tea soup or if it's eight pints of tea soup and licorice all sorts. Uh, hang on. It's either tea soup or tea comma soup, and hang I can't on. tell. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, ooh, bloody hell! Where is it? All right, okay. <laughs> Um, eight pints of pea soup. Oh, pea soup. He said, he said, I, I swear he said tea. I swear he said tea soup, which just creates a whole image in my head. And yes, here comes four pounds of mixed chocolate. <laughs> and eight pints of tea soup, licorice all sorts. And lastly, the oyster. This whole sequence reminded me of very much of a Dirk Maggs produced comedy series on from Radio 4 or Radio 2 mm-hmm. in the early 90s called Inside Sasha. I have um, never heard of it, but it sounds interesting. Um, which had um, former guest uh, Jeffrey Holland and, and uh-huh. uh, John Glover and, and others. Mm-hmm. And it was set inside a man's body a lot of oh, it, yeah. if you like. And, and, and so you'd have um blood corpsicles talking to each other and yeah it's kind of like, like that a... oh god 
the numbskulls. Numbskulls. I was trying to yeah. think of pinheads. I just couldn't remember. Yeah, oh, it, it was. It's kind of like that. That, but this whole sequence reminded me of Inside Sasha. Mm. Um, and then we have yeah, and then it's a little bit confusing. There's an explosion at the end of that, and we we think it's the pipe has exploded that he's asked yeah, Blue Bottle just, to blow up. It just ends very abruptly. It's just, it just ends and now that Anthony there outside of Ned Seagoon's body and the plot continues. Yes, and, and but Moriarty turns up and says they've got a new peer. Seagoon's delighted. <laughs> All is forgiven. But they've... I love I love Moriarty's little moha. Yeah. As he says, we thought you were villains. Moha. <laughs> <laughs> they've, um, they've bored holes in the bottom and it will sink in 10 minutes. Uh, and then we have Blue Bottle talking to Moriarty and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And it, it culminates in Blue Bottle being exploded and annoyed that Eccles never gets deaded. And then we have a lovely <laughs> little bit where Eccles does get deaded. And, and he shouts, you rotten swine, Steve, which yes. is great. And then Blue Bottle just happy, just ha- leaves happily because it's, oh, it's worked out. <laughs> delighted, delighted. And we're back to square one. Ned's in the water. Drowning. Yeah, he, he signs a will and blood knock turns up again and uh, Ned shouts no go away whilst he's <laughs> drowning and I've, uh, I, I actually re-listened to this I rewound it and listened because I, I realized blood knock says I've got this money belt and I've realized that he's trying to sell him back his own money belt that he stole earlier oh yes that's right well that's the the, the mark of a true con man isn't oh it? yeah and then I think then Greenslade does his apology for the program and then does the 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 credit read and then at the end blood knock appears again and then i think probably trying to sell sell greenslade the money belt he's just like ah which, <laughs> all this greenslade there you are like, which that bit was improvised um in as much as it wasn't in the script so i like to think oh, yeah. sellers just decided to just add oh, yeah. that i do i do like it i can't remember you i remember you mentioned it really liking it there's an episode where the end they just it's just them riffing yes on the on the end and end music i i love that I, there's a I few think, times they do that yeah. yeah i love it every single time excellent well and there we go and that is the show mm-hmm. and uh we've whipped through that and um it's a great episode and uh uh it's obviously you know it's famous for fred the oyster but um but like oh. you say it's it's helped to cement the the memory of the sinking of westminster pier in the national consciousness yes Shall we we never have known it existed without without no, it. No. So Molly, listen, thank you. Thank you very much for joining yeah. me today. Um, is there anything else you wanted to, to touch on before we wrap up? No, I no, I just no, it's just really nice just to just to chat. It is. <laughs> it is. And, and 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 it's lovely to have someone like yourself so enthusiastic as well. Oh. Um, instead of some of the miserable bastards I get on this program. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> only, only joking, guys. No, we love um, you. We love you. <laughs> uh, just before we wrap up, one last <clears throat> quick thing. Just wanted to mention, uh, the week after this show went out, um, Peter Sellers wrote, I say wrote in inverted commas, wrote an article for the Picture Goer oh. magazine. And it was called, it was titled, You Tell Me, Should I goon or go straight in films meaning should i go on or go straight in films okay um and i and i i struggle to believe that he actually wrote it himself but it's basically him um him just sort of asking the uh, the great british public whether he should stick with the goon show or um, try and make it big in films and he's also talking about this idea i just want to quickly read this but he's talking about 
the idea of maybe trying to transfer the goons onto film in terms of making a series of films about the goons. And he says certain characters, for example, Blue Bottle, could not convincingly be humanized. So a form of cartoon on film seen successfully in an early Gene Kelly musical might be employed. Uh, you, you know, what's it, as it anchors away with you got um, Jerry the Mouse from Tom and Jerry. Oh, dancing. it's kind of who framed Roger Rabbit it. Yes, yes, yes. I think he's, yeah. he's thinking of that. So he's thinking of these, he's thinking they could make these goon show films. He says, Blood Knock, Seagoon, Eccles, Henry Crun and Mini Bannister could be brought to life in human form. And there's, the result might well be a new form of film comedy with an international appeal. But he's, he's, but he's talking about Blue Bottle being a cartoon in that. Yeah, okay. but I love I love the fact that, yeah, we all agree that the Telegoons was a, a mm. strange, a strange thing. But yes, people should make that, you know, there's loads of there's loads of you know anima animatics, as they call them on YouTube of like radio series and podcasts and things. We, there should be more for the goon show like that little like like the written down on a piece of paper thing yes, they should. made for that documentary can't remember what it was but you know heroes just, of comedy yeah just mm. they, they should do more of that just have use the inspiration of the drawings and people listening you have animation skills do it get on it <laughs> <laughs> well you, you you know you've got friends haven't you that do I know, I know, all sorts I know. of creative they're, things they're, they're really shy about it though it's like oh right. i know he's so good anyway <laughs> Okay. Well, maybe, maybe. Well, as I said, AI, AI. That's that's the future. AI. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyway, Molly. Listen. Great to have you on, and um, we will uh, we will speak again. We will. Brilliant. Ah, me cringing nuggers, is it? It can't be. Where's me old photographs? Ah, it's my old Batman Nettie Seagull. Oh, no, I've got a money go belt. Away! Ladies, according to page 24 of my Radio Times, you should have been hearing the six ingots of Leadenhall Street. But I fear the goons have lied to the editor and not carried out the intended story. It's a disgrace. Good night. <laughs> That was The Goon Show, a recorded programme featuring Peter Sellers, Harry Seacombe and Spike Milligan with the Ray Ellington Quartet and Max Geldray. The orchestra was conducted by Wallace Stott, script by Spike Milligan, Eric Sykes, announcer Wallace Greenslade, the programme produced by Peter Eaton. Can I just be out there while it's